following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. So we're continuing what I'm calling uh, the, the calibration series. Uh, last week I introduced that um, as uh, we're going to be looking at the uh, the early stage of the kings of Israel to help us to see how God wants to realign us with himself and his word during this very confusing, often scary time that we're in. Uh, we live in a day of much compromise and there are so many voices, both within the church and outside the church, coming at us from, from various channels and it's easy to say that you know we believe that God's word is true and and it is um, it's it's God's gift to us of his revelation of who he is and and how he wants us to live but as we go through life it's it's easy for us to get off kilter so to speak and we need to continually return to his word in order to be recalibrated to who he is and to his truth. Um, as I discussed last week during our introduction, it's the Bible that equips us to navigate life effectively. It's, it's, it's likened to equipment given to us to live effective godly lives. And as I myself have been working through the 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 stories of the of the early kings of Israel in, in First Kings, I saw how much their day is a lot like our day. In fact, so much of what people go through in the Bible uh, are in is it, it, they're in context very similar to what we go through, and that's why it's so helpful to take a look at what God was doing among the people at that time to help us to know how to navigate. The world as it is today. And so what we're going to do this week is we're going to do um, a pretty quick biblical overview up to the time in the Bible just before the first king of Israel, who, who as you know is, is King Saul, and we'll be continuing with, with that next time. But in order to get the context of what's, what we're going to be focusing on eventually through the prophet Elijah, and how he confronts evil in his day. We're going to start at the beginning and 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 get this Bible overview in order to get the proper backdrop to what we'll be looking at in a few weeks from now when we finally get to Elijah. We touched on some of this last time. So when we begin the Bible with with God's creation, we see that the creation is God's design. Not only is it is is it his good design, it's his very good design. And he, in that design, he created human beings, beginning with Adam and Eve, and made us in his image, which primarily is a way to say that we were made to be God's representatives on earth. God is the, the king of, of the universe, and he set human beings on planet earth to administer his rule on earth. 
Um, and then he gave us several things to do, and a lot of people say that um, that Adam and Eve did. Um, they only had one thing to do, and and they and they disobeyed God. It's not actually true. They were given many things to do. They were they were told by God to have many children, to fill the earth, and to take care of the earth, and so on. Um, they were also told that they they could eat of all the fruit of the, the trees in the in the garden except for one. So they were given one prohibition. There was only one thing they were not supposed to do. And that's the thing, and that's, and they, they disobeyed God by eating of the fruit that He said not to eat of, and by disobeying God, just how, just like God warned, they brought death and destruction to not only themselves and future generations of humans, but they brought God's curse upon that which they were responsible for. That's what always happens. God calls human beings to be caretakers, stewards. We're called to be responsible. And whatever we're responsible for when we mess up, we affect everything we're responsible for. And so it's because of the mismanagement of our very first parents that we ended up in a corrupted world. But God was not going to leave it at that. Right from the beginning, God promised that one day he would destroy evil. So we read in Genesis 3, verses 17 to 19, he, he pronounces cursings upon the woman, upon the man, and upon the serpent who tempted Eve. Um, let's see. Just getting my bearings here. Okay, and so this is what God said to the serpent in Genesis 3.15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so this is what we call the first messianic promise where there's an idea that someone's going to come who's going to destroy this serpent, whether the serpent was the devil himself or inspired by the devil we don't really know but certainly his temptation was was rooted in the evil one and by god saying to the serpent that one day someone would come to to crush his head this was a way of saying that evil would one day be destroyed and we get a hint here through the 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 bruising or or crushing of the of the heel of the one who would crush the serpent's head the idea that the one that would destroy the evil one would himself be injured in the process and this is a, a foreshadow or a prophecy of what jesus would one day do in dying for our sins in order to destroy evil um, and so we get that promise right from the beginning in genesis 3 and then we see in in the scriptures how god works this out in the meantime things go from bad to worse uh, until we get to Genesis 6, still very early on in the Bible, we read, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Wow. And so God determined to do not a full destruction of everything. Uh, you may have heard of something called the Great Reset. Well, God did a great reset in those days through Noah, 
um, by preserving uh, the, the human family and the air-breathing animals by bringing them on the ark while God destroyed the, the rest of the world by a flood. And so we see through the story of Noah, God's commitment to his creation plan. That what God began in Genesis 1 and 2, even though the very people that he chose to be responsible for the creation, they, they completely blew it, God didn't completely give up on this plan. And he, in a sense, he started over again through Noah and his family. But still, there wasn't much change in the hearts of human beings. And we get to the story of Babel, where instead of uh, filling the earth and, and emigrating to the, the rest of the planet, people want to stay in one place. They want to make themselves great and protect themselves. And God saw that this was actually an evil plan. And we're not going to get into all the details of that, but we read in Genesis 11, verse 6, verse 6, And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. And nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. And so God saw that the, the self-made unity of human beings was not going to serve human beings very well, would actually be very destructive. And so he threw a wrench into their big building project, confused their languages, and through that, people ended up spreading out over uh, over the earth as people were supposed to. And um, and that's where we get the various cultural groups and, and, um, and ethnic groups that form over time. As far as the Bible's concerned, the story of Babel, which ended up being a great failure and disaster because it was it was motivated by, by self and self-preservation and, and hu- human motivations. Against that b- backdrop, God calls a childless elderly man to move from his hometown and travel a long way to what would eventually become the land of Israel. And he made him these promises. And I know this is familiar to many. Genesis 12, verses 1 to 3. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred to your father's house, the land I will show you, and I'll make of you a great nation, and I'll bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This promise that God gave to Abram, whose name was later changed to Abraham, Paul, in Galatians 3, verse 8, calls this the gospel. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles or the nations by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all the nations be blessed. And so what started off as cursing because of our first parents' sin and rebellion and all the destruction and corruption that it brought, God chose this childless, elderly man uh, to b- begin a movement of blessing that through him and his descendants, God would, where there was death, bring life, where there was sickness, bring healing, where there'd be despair, bring hope. He'd bring blessing, life to all the world. Exactly how he was going to do that through this man's descendants, we don't know yet in the, in the, in the biblical story, but this is what God promised to do. And so from there we get the development of the people that became known as the people of Israel, 
uh, beginning with Abraham's son Isaac and then Isaac's son Jacob and Jacob had 12 sons and Jacob's name was changed to Israel that's why the, the people become known as the the people or the nation of Israel and eventually uh, due to certain circumstances they migrate to the land of Egypt where it goes well for a while but eventually the the ruler of Egypt uh, his title was Pharaoh uh, isn't is concerned that one day this large group of people living in his land would rise up uh, along with his enemies um, and so he was intimidated by that idea and so he enslaved them and so the people of Israel who originally went to Egypt uh, during a time of famine and they were preserved through very unusual circumstances now find themselves in a desperate situation and and the Israel being in bondage in Egypt is a picture of our condition, the human condition, that we're in bondage to all the all that happened through Adam and Eve because of sin and because of God's curse. We are not free uh, to be the people that God wants us to be, but rather we're in bondage to evil and to uh, the power behind Pharaoh, the same power that was behind the serpent, the devil. And so we see that through the experience of the people of Israel, not only a picture of the bondage we're all under, but of God's desire to set us free. And so eventually, as you know in the story, God calls Moses and his brother Aaron to go and confront Pharaoh, who refuses to let the people go. And then God sends these, these plagues that eventually, in a sense, twists Pharaoh's arm to let the people go. We don't have time to get into that whole story, but they they eventually head off and they they soon come to um, Mount Sinai where God reveals his word to them and the the term best used to describe that whole revelation of God's word that he gave through Moses at Mount Sinai is called the Torah Torah means teaching or direction and God gave this to Israel as a as a gift and it was to it had two functions and especially in the way that it worked in the in the history of the people of Israel so the giving of the Torah was mainly God's revelation of himself so the world had um, evidence of God as it still does through the creation but the people of Israel were given the details God's clear revelation of who he is and what he required of human beings. And so, on one hand, through the giving of the Torah to the people of Israel, we, uh, um, they're given, and eventually, later on through the gospel, that word becomes um, transmitted to the, to the nations through the, the preaching of the gospel. But through his word given at Mount Sinai, we find out what he's like, what his character is, um, um, his his goodness, his love, his requirements, and so on. But also, besides it being a revelation of who he is and what he values, through the giving of God's word to the people of Israel, we see that we see what human nature is really like. So, any people who had been given God's word, like the people of Israel. Uh, were we would have seen the same thing that human beings because of sin 
don't have the ability to be what God originally designed us to do. And so that's one of the functions of the people of Israel, carrying God's revelation of who he is and his truth, but also serving as an example of the human condition. Interestingly, one of the things we see in the Torah, it's in Deuteronomy chapter 16, is the understanding that one day there will be a king. And some people, maybe we'll talk about that a little more in, in uh, maybe even next week. You know what, I'll, even, I'll, leave it, I'll leave it for then. And so there is an anticipation that one day, day there would be a king. But one, one lesson that I want to highlight about this early part of the, of the history of Israel before the time of the kings, which we're going to get to, is in the book of Deuteronomy, Moses is speaking to the people of Israel, and he is, it's been almost 40 years since they left Egypt. They had an opportunity 38 years before to enter the, the promised land, but because of lack of faith, they failed to do so. And so um, now they're getting ready to, to, to actually go in the land, and Moses is reflecting over their history, and he talks about how God early on when they were in the wilderness and they didn't they weren't able to grow food God provided the substance that became known as manna a miraculous bread-like substance that they gathered every day except on the Sabbath um, and he he makes a comment about the purpose of God doing this for the people and this statement I think is key in understanding um, what God has made us, what how God made us to be, and how we're supposed to relate to Him, and how we're supposed to relate to life, and this is the thing that people have failed to do time and time again, and we're in from what I could tell, even believers have failed in this time and time again. I know I have failed in this time and time again, because we we get dragged in a different direction. And so I'm reading Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, talking about the manna. He says, Moses is speaking, And he, God, humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Now, I probably have said this before, it bears repeating, that I have the impression that when many people hear, man lives by every uh, uh, man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of God, they add something to it, and we think it means we uh, we don't live by bread alone, but also, or in addition to bread, we also live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. But that's not what it says. What God is saying through Moses here is that there's two kinds of living. The way I refer to it is bread alone living versus God's word living. Bread alone living is being um, is being driven by our desires, where our tummies are determining are determining what we want, what our goals are, what our values are, and how we should live. And so we are we end up being entrapped by everything around us, what other people want, their demands. Um, our health and safety, taking care of ourselves, making sure that we're safe, living according to the earth, 
and that which is derived from the earth. That's one kind of living. The other kind of living is being attentive to the voice of the Lord. Now, God cares about our material needs. We read about that in Matthew 6. We have a Father in heaven, and we're told there that because he takes care of us, that we should seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all those other cares will be taken care of by God. As human beings, we were designed to be focused on the Lord and following him and listening to his word, and that's how we're supposed to live, and then he will take care of the rest. That doesn't mean we ignore the material things, don't have time to get into all that, and especially the needs of other people. We need to take care of those things. And we're not, and we're not to neglect our health and, and create kind of like a, a, a phony kind of spirituality that care, doesn't care at all one bit about um, whether we're eating and drinking okay and, and that sort of thing. But the, the heart of our lives is to be an attentiveness to the Lord. And that ha- is how he wants us to live. And that's... We see through the history of Israel that their failure is constantly because they turn from the voice of the Lord and obeying him, and they turn to their own desires. That was the problem for them. That was the problem for Adam and Eve, and that is still our problem today. It doesn't need to be a problem because we can listen to him. And so then... Uh, the people of Israel finally, through the leadership of Joshua, after Moses dies, they enter into the promised land. And before they begin the conquest of the land, there's an extraordinary encounter that Joshua has. He sees outside the, the camp uh, someone with a sword. And uh, he approaches he approaches this person. And this is Joshua 5, verses 13 and 14. And as a good leader... He confronts this person and he asks the question, are you for us or for our adversaries? And then this most extraordinary statement comes from this person. We read, and he said, no. Some translations say neither. In the Hebrew, it simply says lo, which is no. But I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And this statement is so, so important. Joshua understood that God had chose the people of Israel, beginning with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to be a blessing to the nations. He understood that God had selected the people of Israel to be the stewards of his word. The people of Israel were specially chosen by God. He also knew that if the people trusted God and obeyed him, they would be able to take this land and no one would be able to stand before him. So in his in his mind, it's understandable that he would be thinking of the world in two categories. There's us and there's them. And so, hey buddy, are you for us? Are you for them? And God's people have made the same error that Joshua made in his thinking ever since. We think that because, you know, uh, we've uh, we've fought for the faith and we've been true to to what we believe God's word really says, then for therefore God prefers us. And while 
God is forming a people for his name's sake, we must remember that God himself never takes sides. God is not biased. God is for himself. And so the question isn't, are you for us or for our adversaries? The question is, who is on the Lord's side? And that's why we must regularly recalibrate ourselves in knowing what it means what what it means to be a true servant of the Lord and to be truly following him. But instead, what we've done is we um, develop traditions, ways of doing, ways of thinking, certain theology that in a in in certain time periods were very helpful, but we move from God's word itself to the creations of our own minds and our own hands, and we bring God down and we take possession of him, and then we demand that others understand God in the way that we do, rather than understanding that we always need to be in a place where we're open to being corrected by him, which takes us back to Deuteronomy 8, verse 3, that we live by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. So then, under Joshua, um, by and large, they take the land of Israel, but because of disobedience, they don't take it completely, and that's how their lives continue for the next few hundred years. Over the, uh, over the next time period, this brings us to the book of the of Judges, we have a time where Israel finds itself uh, in what some people call a sin cycle, where they are following God properly, then they turn to idols and follow other gods, God punishes them, they cry out to God, God sends a special inspired leader called a judge, so not a judge with a, a gavel in a courtroom, but a, a, a person who brings judgment to set things right again. And um, and then during the time of that judge, God brings peace, then the judge would die, and then the people would follow other gods again. I'll read that. Judges 2, verses 18 through 19. Whenever the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge, and he saved them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who, af who afflicted and oppressed them. But whenever the judge died, they turned back and were more corrupt than their fathers, going after other gods, serving them and bowing down to them. They did not drop any of their practices or their stubborn ways. And so they would end up in, their, in this cycle. And so while there was this inspired leader who led them in the ways of the, of the Lord, all was good, he would die, they turned back to their wayward ways. And, you know, for the church to point at the people of Israel and, you know, do a look at them, look at how they always get dragged down to their sinful ways. This has been the same thing in church history. It's the same. It's been the same thing for the two thousand years. God would raise up leaders. There'd be some sort of revival. The revival would last for a while. Then things would get all, all decrepit again and happen over and over and over again. And sometimes it was the, 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 the corrupt state of God's people was just being completely ignored and it would last hundreds of years until God would do something big to, to, to do a change. We're actually still in very much the same cycle 
cycle, but we don't have to be there because Jesus has died for our sins and he's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit and we don't have to keep doing this cycle. But in order to break the cycle, we have to live differently and we need to allow ourselves to be recalibrated by God so we're really listening to him and obeying him. And if we don't listen and obey him, we're going to find ourselves in a corrupted state again. But back to the biblical history. So the time of the judges is, is summed up uh, by these words at the end of the book, Judges 21, verse 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. We call that anarchy. And that's what it was like. And there's, so the writer of the book of Judges is making a comment that seems to be saying that the reason for the continual confusion and the continual waywardness of the people was because the people didn't have a king. Now, some people might think that's problematic because of how Israel ends up getting their first king, which I'm going to mention, and that's how we're going to close. Um, but it seems that God wanted to bring a king. Well, of course he did. Eventually, that king is the Lord Jesus, and he's the one who reestablishes God's rule on earth. Um, and that's why he says in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And, and while we don't see that in its fullness, we will see that in its fullness one day. But until then, we've been given this massive deposit of the goodness of God through the reign of Jesus. And so the lack of king uh, in the lives of human beings, the lack of a God-given king is problematic. And this is what the people were, were learning. And so they were right to see that there was something missing. But how they went about resolving that problem was like the people of Babel. It was humanly derived, not God-derived. And so we get to the book of 1 Samuel, and we see this in Samuel 8, verses 4 and 5. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel, who was a prophet and a judge, at Ramah, the town of Ramah, and said to him, Behold, you're old, and your sons do not walk in your ways. And so they're seeing that this this cycle is just going to continue and continue. And so they say, now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the other nations. The desire for a king in itself was not bad. God wanted to give the people the king. But the problem with their question was they wanted a king to judge us like all the other nations. And so they end up getting a king that's like the other nations. We're going to look at that next time. But here is the problem that we need to take note of. The people were, were aware that things were not good. They were under pressure from oppression, from from other peoples. Their spiritual condition wasn't good. They were in a mess. And sadly, what people do when the pressure comes is we look around and we think we know how to solve the problem and we want to do what everybody else is doing. And so that's what they did. I guess, you know, other nations, they have a king and then, then the king dies and their son becomes the next king and it looks really stable and they seem to be doing better than us. So why don't we just, why don't we get the... Get the latest political thing, a king, and follow what they're doing. So instead of going to God and saying, oh God, look at our situation. What do you want us to do? And living by every word that comes from the mouth of God. No, 
They look at themselves. They look at other people and they go, oh, that must be a pretty good idea. Let's do that. It's working at that church. So let's do it at our church. It seems to be the latest and greatest thing. We should do that. But is that what God is saying? Are we living by God's word? Or are we, are we being our own uh, judges and doing, um, doing our own thing in our own way? And so may God help us to discover here in January 2022, we are going through certain things in our lives we never expected, we'd never experienced before, but we serve a God who knows, he knows the end from the beginning, and he can tell us exactly what he wants us to do, and he still wants to use us to fulfill what he promised Abraham to be a blessing to the nations. We don't have to live in fear. We can live in confidence in our God. So let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for these reminders. Show us what it means in these days to live by every word that comes from your mouth. Show us, Lord, how we've relied on ourselves. Show us how we've been living by bread alone and help us instead to be reliant on you and you alone, that you would guide us in these days. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca. Thank you.